Advent is a time of expectation and hope. Advent means arrival or coming. And it prompts us to pause and remember why Jesus came. The second candle of Advent represents preparation and faith. Prepare the way of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Listen. It's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. Faith that a Savior has been born, Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary... And Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required. Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Let's pray. Father, The birth of Jesus was declared even in the heavens. He is the light of the world, the shining example of your love for us. Lord, the light of the candle of hope and promise and the candle of preparation and faith reminds us that our hope is in your promises and we are being prepared by faith to be your people of love. Amen. May our faith remain strong and secure in Jesus. May he prepare us to shine brightly in this world as we show his love to others. I met this couple a couple of years ago, and um, it feels like I have known Jeremy for a long, long time. And honestly, we've probably only had half a dozen really good conversations. But when you have a conversation with Jeremy Petty, you hear Jesus. And there's just something about people that are insanely in love with Jesus that draws your heart to them. So if you guys want to come on up, they're going to take a minute and they're going to tell you about the exciting things that the Lord has called them to do. And then Jeremy's going to bring the word, but you have free reign. We love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. We're going to jump into this. We want to honor the time. And um, this is my wife, Katarina. My name is Jeremy. Um, thank you. Uh, that was for her, obviously. Those of you who don't notice uh, or know us, uh, we've been in ministry for a little over 15 years. Katarina spent over a decade in foreign missions, and I've been uh, everything from a choir member to a worship pastor, director, youth pastor, associate, and executive pastor. And uh, over the last couple of years, the Lord has put on our heart to plant a church in Seattle, Washington. So, Um, What we're going to ask you to do right now, if you just close your eyes in advance, right now, yeah, really, just close your eyes really quick. I'm just going to pray over this this moment before we move into the ministry time. So, Lord, we we believe that you are the God of the universe, 
that every single person in this room was uniquely and wonderfully made and that you have a purpose for every single person in this room. And you had that purpose before they were born. So God, today we ask that you move on the sons and daughters in the room, that you speak to them clearly in this moment to know if they're supposed to get involved with what you're calling us to do in Seattle. And not only if they're supposed to get involved, that you would speak to them clearly about what areas they're supposed to be involved in. So if you want them to join the intercessory prayer team, if you want them to give financially, or if you're going to call them to go and join us on the mission to start this church in Seattle, that you would move on their hearts, that they would be quickened in their spirit right now in the name of Jesus to respond with faith. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, let's get into this. You guys ready for the word today? Take a second right now and pray this, because this is really all that matters, okay? This is really all that matters. Take a second, just this moment. Let's close our eyes together. Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me in this message? Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me in this message? Holy Spirit, hit your target today. Move as I communicate your word. Use me, God, as a vessel to pour out whatever it is that people need to hear today. God, we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise. Help me to say exactly what you want me to say, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So if you open your Bibles or turn on your Bibles, I know what generation I'm talking to. Maybe you have never held a paper Bible in your life. It's always been one of the million versions you have on your phone, whatever it is, or you want to look at the screen. If you go to John chapter 5, verse 25, this is what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is or is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For my note takers, the title of the message today is Flip the Script. If you take a second and you Google Flip the Script to see what the definition of that idiom is, it says to do something or to have something done that is unexpected and revolutionary. By a show of hands and a movement of your heart. How many of you need God to do something unexpected and revolutionary in your lives? How many of you could use God to step into the midst of the prayers you've been praying and do something you didn't expect him to do and do it like only God can in a very revolutionary way? Is there anybody in the room that couldn't use God stepping into a big way or a small way in your life and flipping the script on your life? What happens to a lot of us as we start the journey of life, we're raised in a certain household, we were born with a certain skin color, speaking a certain language in a certain culture, and we didn't pick any of those things. But the war, the world is at war over things that we really didn't decide, right? God didn't make a mistake with you. You need to know that from the outset. God created you and placed you, not because he hated you, but because he loved you. He had something really important for you to do with your life. And the world tries to create walls based on what we look like, how intelligent we are, how much money we have or don't have, our perception of somebody else's success. And at the end of the day, you know what God cares about? Your heart. 
He cares about your soul. He doesn't care how much money you have in your bank account. What he does care about is are you coming to heaven? And then once you're convinced that you are because you surrendered your life to him, and by the way, when you give your life to God, that means it doesn't belong to you anymore. It's someone else's property. The great thing about that is that you can allow him to do whatever he wants to do. You don't get in arguments with him anymore because he's in possession of it. He owns it. Right, And you just trust the God of the universe that was there before anybody else to do what he thinks is best because most likely in what you found if you live very long, his way is better. Do you know what I'm saying? And so God wants to flip the script on our lives today. Maybe it's a big way. Maybe it's a small way. Maybe you have little problems. Maybe you have big problems. Maybe you perceive your little problems as big and maybe you perceive your, your big problems as small. Whatever it is, when you compare it against this great big God that we serve, everything is small. There is nothing too broken he can't put back together. There is no unsavable list in the kingdom of God. I gotta say it one more time. There's no unsavable list in the kingdom of God. The Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, we know this, right? It's almost a cliche statement in church, but it's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. And just because we can quote it doesn't mean we live it out, y'all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, that whosoever in him would not perish but have. It was the whole world though, right? The whole world? We really get centered on our world sometimes, right? Sometimes we get focused on somebody else's world and we forget what Jesus did. What Jesus did on the cross was the greatest value assessment ever, and it's the only one that matters. Because when he did that, he says he died for the whole world, and that was the rich and the poor. That was the black, the white, the yellow, the green, the polka dot, the striped. That was every socioeconomic status. Every culture, you know what the Bible says heaven's going to be like? Every tribe, every nation. It doesn't say only the Baptists, only the Catholics, only the Pentecostals. It doesn't say the incredibly legalistic and religious. It won't say the one with the most trophies or the biggest bank account. And I think all of us can relate to this moment that one day we are going to stand in the presence of God. And you know what we're really going to care about in that moment? The only thing you're going to care about in that moment is whether or not this earth was spent doing what he asked you to do. That's all you're going to care about. You're not going to care about trying to seek your satisfaction. You're going to hope that you didn't spend your life seeking your satisfaction in a relationship. Making an idol out of a man or a woman. You're going to hope in that moment that you weren't more Baptist than you were a believer. You know what I'm saying? You're going to hope in that moment that you weren't more Catholic and that you were more Christian. You get what I mean? Throw any religion in there. doesn't matter. God wants to flip our script. What if God wanted to do something unexpected and revolutionary in your life? Would you let him do it? If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9-11, through 11, this is what it says. In this verse... On the outset, seems accusatory. This verse has been used a lot by pastors, not these, to make people feel less than, to abuse people. And Christians love picking this set of verses up and using it to attack people and make them disconnect from what Jesus did for them. But this is honestly quite possibly one of the most grace-filled verses in Scripture. And I'm going to show you why. 
Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? See, a script has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. A joke has a beginning, a setup, and a punchline. And so if you just pick one part, the setup, you may miss where God's trying to take us in this, right? So we really love the first part. We like to pick and choose the middle that I'll read in a second, but then wait for the punchline. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. By the way... The root word for sexual immorality in the Bible is porneia. You know where we get the word pornography from? Guess what? Porneia. So when he's talking about sexual immorality, he's talking about the sin plague called pornography addiction too. It's widely accepted in our culture, but it's destroying souls. It's destroying marriages. It's destroying hearts. It's destroying men and women all over the planet. We don't have the luxury of sitting on that because we can keep it a secret. And it's one of the most dangerous addictions that exists because you can do it behind closed doors. There's no physiological manifestation of what you're seeing. You know, like it's not like if you're strung out on meth that you start to produce the physical signs of meth. You know what I mean? It's on a computer. You can hide it. It's in your phone. You can access it whenever you want, right? And it will destroy your soul. Your heart, your mind, it will make objects out of people God called you to reach. Neither sexually immoral nor idolaters, people who put anything ahead of God in their life. Some people do this with their children. Some people do this with their spouses. Some people do this with money. Uh, Some people literally worship other gods, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. We love to jump on that bandwagon, don't we, church? Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards. Greedy? You mean people who see the resources as theirs and not God's? You mean people who say, well, I was going to upgrade my house to the seven-bedroom from the five-bedroom so I don't have any money to give the homeless person? The greedy person who works downtown and they walk by a certain few homeless people every single week, and so what they've done is they've stopped carrying cash so they can still be a Christian and not lie when they say they don't have any cash on them, but they don't have to give any money to the homeless person? We make provision for our... Really lame behavior. Sorry. Uh, Drunkards, nor revilers, people who talk trash about people, people who are backbiters or people who are gossips or people who try to stir up trouble. Wait for the punchline in this, guys. Nor swindlers, people who are manipulative. That is a question of motive. Do you do what you do for God or do you do what you do so you can gain position, respect, or the perception of other people that you want? Which one really matters? I promise in front of God one day, you know all we're going to care about? Is you're standing alone. The spouse you have that always tells everyone how great you are while you're being a jerk behind closed doors isn't going to be there as your attorney before God. And all you're going to care about in that moment is God. I promise. This is getting really grace-filled here in just a second. Right? Okay, here we go. You ready? I know you are. And such were some of you. We don't have the luxury of looking at any level of sin and thinking the cross isn't sufficient. And you may never have struggled with same-sex attraction, gender identification, or anything we love to jump on the bandwagon or carry a sign on Venice Beach with. You may have never struggled with it. And because of that, it's like we give ourselves permission to treat people Jesus died for, assess their value at, and determine that they are less than. Do you know what I mean? This says 
All of those things lead to hell. We don't have the luxury of looking at someone who's a different skin color and actually convincing ourselves that their value is different than ours. I'm sorry, if someone came into this country, the thing we love, the thing we love about America, and I served 13 years in the military, so I'll say whatever I want, all right? Like, the thing we love about America is that it's a big melting pot, right? As long as they speak English, as long as they speak perfect English, as long as they look like us, dress like us, talk like us, move like us, drive like us, and pursue the American dream, and we can get something from them. Oh, and by the way, they bow down whenever we enter the room, right? I wonder what it would be like if most churches were like NCC, where you could walk in in any status looking like anything and be unaware of it when you walked in and were greeted. One of my friends, they were looking for a church, and they walked into this, not this church, a church, and uh, there was this white family that walked in front of them. My friends are black. They walked in, a white family walked in in front, and the greeter was like, I call it the mayonnaise shake, and it was like, hey, how you doing? Well, so glad you're here, right? My friend is an attorney. His wife is a doctor. They have four beautiful girls, and then they walk in behind that couple, that family, and they're like, yo, what's up? Same person. No offense, like the most vanilla person ever. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, when, at what point does value assessment also mean God created uniquely and wonderfully and you don't have to pretend to gain credibility? What you end up doing is hurting people and you end up seeing people through the lens of a stereotype that God didn't create. I have to move on. We're in desperate need of a script flipped. Okay, we're in desperate need of God to flip our script because some of us are like, I'm there every Sunday, I serve, I tithe, I do all these things all the time, but those people in Seattle are all going to hell. And there's another group of people that we in the South look at places like Seattle and parts of New York, and we love like judging the pastors that fall maybe from a massive church that's well known in New York, and we just love proving our narrative that everyone is actually dirty and wrong and going to burn us and hurt us, right? But it's just not true. There's another group of people that uh, the church, the Old Testament church, the Jewish people that really is kind of like a type and shadow of who we are as Christians looked at and hated, and it was the Samaritan people. Today, God wants to flip some of our scripts in a major way, unexpected and revolutionary way. And maybe you walked into church today like any other Sunday. You like your church, but you didn't really expect God to do anything. That means what God's about to do in your heart and your mind is unexpected. And when God does something in your life, it's always revolutionary. Rejection, shame, dirty, the deadliest disease of our generation, OCD, obsessive comparison disorder. Religious barriers, abuse, heritage, sin, all those things. The enemy loves to create this internal narrative with all of us. That the rejection of people somehow equates to like God rejected us. And it's just not true. If you look at this rope, we've got this end with tape, and maybe you've seen this illustration with Francis Cham before, or maybe you've seen me use it before. But this red tape at the end, this is a timeline. This red tape in the end represents this life you're living right now. And the rest of the rope represents 
eternity. In one small or big way, one way or another, we end up putting so much focus on this that we miss all of this. Pastor Chris, could you come up here, please? What happens is we're born in a certain place with certain factors, and then we start living this life. And somewhere along the line, like retirement becomes important, clothes become important, the brand of those clothes becomes important, our value begins to be distinguished and determined by the perceptions of other people. And we start thinking about retirement and we go to church because it's the right thing to do. And my parents were this way, so I do this and whatever. But what we end up focusing on is this. Imagine what would happen if this is what Pastor Chris focused on. So if you could just grab a hold of that. If all he holds on to is right now, can Anybody else be blessed by that life? I mean, if you think of it through the lens of anyone else who his life is going to bless, he has to have more room on this section of rope because you actually choose one or the other. You actually pick every day, whether you're living for this or you're living for that. And you know which one it is because it's the thing you hold on to the most. And the problem is, if Chris wanted to invite me into this life and he wanted it to bless me, there'd be no room. I mean, even if he tried to hold on to it just a little bit, right? I mean, even if he just tried to hold on to the end, maybe you could get one other person to buy into this temporary and think it's eternal. But at the end of the day, what is he holding on to? He's holding on to this life, and if you're holding on to this life, that's all you get. And that's very limited impact. That's not what Pastor Chris wants. He doesn't hold on to this. What he does is he bypasses and he holds on to something only God can give and only God can do. And when he does that, it creates all this room for everyone else. Pastor Sam, could you come up, please? Pastor Chris, could I ask you to walk further down a little bit? Roger, could you come here? Bravo, family, could you come here? Brittany, could you come up here? You guys, could you come up here? Green sweater lady holding a book with a white piece of paper. Could you come up here? Guy with the camo, you got camo on your hat. Can you come up here, too? My man with the polo shirt, stripes, can you come up here? Roger's mom, can you come up here, please? My man in the back with the Argyle sweater, can you come up here? I don't know you guys uh, from Adam, so if it's your first day, I know this is against the rules. You're not supposed to do this wherever, but, I mean, I'm just rolling the dice with it. You know what I'm saying? My man with the beard. Oh, yeah, you know who you're talking about. I mean, the beard, you know. The beard. Harden, you know. Can I ask you a question? Is there room for you on this rope, Juliet? Can you hold on to it? Is there room for you, Lisa? Is there room for you? Is there room for you? Are we out of rope? Is there room for you on this rope? Is there room for you on this rope? I'm sorry. Is there room for you on this rope? Hello? Is there room for you on this rope? Is there room for you? Is there room for you on this rope, ma'am? 
Is there room for you, sir? Is there room for you? Is there room for you, sir? There is, right. Is there room for you? Is there room for you, sir? Is there room for you? Wow. And look at all that's left over. It's almost as if eternity actually matters more than temporary. It's almost as if we've had these moments or opportunities like we're the woman at the well and we completely relate to being hopeless and lost and having no idea that there is hope. Look, and I know that some of you are like, well, why was I, if I was valuable to God, then why was I abused when I was a kid? I was abused when I was a kid too. I was beaten by my dad with a baseball so hard one time that it left the rope ink on my face. I was molested. I was poor. It was awful. The first 18 years of my life were full of trauma. Maybe you relate to that. Maybe you don't. Maybe your dad was a workaholic. Maybe he was an alcoholic. Maybe you had the perfect family. You grew up in church and you just like feel guilty because you didn't have any excuse to make all the decisions that you did, but you made them anyway. There's hope because eternity never runs out. There's literally enough rope, maybe not with social distancing or physical distancing. But in reality, this is the greater reality. And there's enough rope here for every single person in the room. There's enough room for everyone to get a piece of it. And guess what Jesus did? He died for the entire world. So there's room for all of us. And everyone could get a piece of this rope if they wanted it. And guess what? Everyone can get a piece of this rope if you want it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, whosoever believed in him. We started with this verse and it says, the day is coming and now is. Some of you needed this word today. You didn't need yesterday's word. You didn't need cliche. You didn't need, I heard it before. You needed a right now word. And John 5, 25 is still valid. The cross is still valid. The Holy Spirit is real. He wants to live inside of you. In fact, it's what Jesus spent most of his ministry preparing us for. And today, if you feel about yourself the way that lady did, and you know God is knocking on the door of your heart, and your response is, but other people reject me. Messiah is saying, but I don't. I don't reject you. You got the wrong person. No, I came here just for you. Just for you. See, the Bible says he knows the number of the hairs that are on your head. That's such intimate information. And we look at our addictions. We look at our past. We look at our failures. We look at our families. We look at our bank accounts. We look at our clothes. We look at our skin color. We have all these reasons why God can't for us. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever. And John 5, 25 says, the day is coming and now, right now is, 
when the dead will hear the voice of God and they will live. God didn't die to make bad people good. He died to make dead people live. And we don't have the luxury of keeping our sin secrets anymore because we're only keeping those secrets because of how we think someone else is going to perceive us after they know about it. But there's going to come a day when we're standing in front of the one we could never hide anything from. And I promise you on that day, you're going to hope that you were living in that moment more than the moment that we put the pressure on each other for. He is the only one with eternal judgment, and that's going to be a really big reality for 100% of everyone. So I want you to know, just like Humpty Dumpty, that king couldn't put him back together, but this king can put any brokenness back together. You're not too broken for God to fix you. You're not too lost to be found. God is the best at hide and seek. He died for your sins. He loves you without condition. And I think somebody really needs to know this because you were abused. You were cheated on by your spouse. You feel broken. And maybe you're on one side of this spectrum or the other. And for one reason or another, you just feel like God can't love me or I feel unloved. There's nothing you can do that would make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do that will make God love you less.